I am very excited today because I'm in the company of two absolutely incredible women and the reason I'm excited is because not only the topic but also what it is that these ladies are actually doing to the Irish food and drinks industry. Their offering is changing the face of our industry as I speak and I'm very excited to even understand that a bit further so that you can understand a bit further. So the fabulous Blana Bergen and the fabulous Amy Irwin, I'm going to introduce them one by one so you can get to know them. And we're here for a special reason but I'm not going to tell you about that yet because I want you to listen to who they are and what they are and what they're up to in this wonderful industry of ours. So Blada Bergen, how are you? I am very well, Tracy. Thank you very much for inviting me onto your podcast. Not at all. It is with great pleasure to have you here. I, I know you a long time and I adore you uh, for, for longer if it's possible. Blanid, can you tell me who are you? What do you do? I uh, My background is hotel management. So I trained in Shannon many, many moons ago. Got a fantastic training there. Worked in the industry for a number of years. Ran my own catering business for a number of years. Taught people how to cook. Uh, worked then, came back into the hotel industry. And for the last several decades, I've been working as an advisor across the industry, hotels, restaurants, pubs. And I also uh, developed and deliver a number of short, very targeted business courses aimed specifically at hospitality. I love that. The, the word targeted, it really hits home as to what it is that you're doing with these courses. And I say that because I'm an ex-student of yours. Uh, I went on one of your courses and I blame you, Blanid. I blame you for who I am today. I went on one of your courses and oh my God, it, I, I was so energized by your teachings and by also being able to marry quite a number of things for myself. And to be in that space and understand fully what it is that you're doing for the industry is absolutely incredible. So I feel very lucky. And it's definitely one of the reasons you're here today. I knew you long before that, but and I'll know you long after that. But you are a huge component and a catalyst to me being who I am today. So I have to do a big, huge thank you to you for that. You're and amazing. Likewise, I will return compliments. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Amy Irwin, how are you? I'm well, Tracy. Thanks so much for having me. Not at all. Uh, Amy Irwin, Conscious Kitchens. Amy, bring us backwards and then tell us about Conscious Kitchens. Who are you? So uh, I'm a food safety and zero waste consultant to uh, food businesses, restaurants, cafes, takeaways. Uh, Former EHO. And originally, I would just see this awful fear that existed for food businesses. That didn't make sense to me. And I wanted to use my experience in a more proactive way. So that was that was the birth of Conscious Kitchens to support uh, small food businesses in preparing for their inspections and just feeling empowered and taking the fear out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, coupled with that, I have a very big passion for bins <laughs> and waste. So, um, yeah, I spent some time now trying to figure out that zero waste piece and how to educate on it and what's possible for a business. So uh, recently landed on an offer called Zero to Landfill, which enables a business to remove their black bin from use altogether, which was also a huge saving for them at a time when they need it. 
Amazing. Uh, and a word that you used there, and it's one of the words that uh, is an essential piece of this podcast that we must talk about it together is the word fear, because there is an enormous amount of fear out there. And Blana Bergen, you've done an enormous amount of work. And not only I'm going to say in the last couple of weeks, and I, I don't mean just to say the last couple of weeks, your entire existence within this field and space. So for an awful long time, but you've brought to life um, a massive issue that is ongoing. And it's a huge pain point uh, that food business owners are going through and have been going through for quite some time, which is the inconsistent application of food safety law that is affecting all food service kitchens around Ireland. Uh, Blonid, tell me a bit about that. How has this really come to the surface uh, right now for you? Um, as you mentioned earlier on, Tracy, I have, this has been something I've been talking about and writing about for probably the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, I have written blogs about it. Nobody came blind to the notice. But anyway, uh, about uh, three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, a former student of mine who's running a smashing little cafe down in the southwest of the country asked me to say that a friend of hers had opened a food truck and he had been stopped. Uh, making his own burgers and had been more or less um, obliged to buy in frozen burgers, which he really didn't want to do because his whole ethos was around doing food from scratch. And this uh, girl also said uh, that she was now in fear that she was going to be stopped baking her own cakes, which are absolutely delicious, and making her own sausage rolls. So I absolutely lost the rag completely. I thought this is just, it tipped me right over the edge. And I thought, I just have to say something. Uh, so I put up a short, sort of reasonably cross video on um, Instagram, and I got over 13,000 uh, views on it. And countless comments, which I'm still trying to kind of get to grips with and answer, and also so many private messages where people said, please don't use my name. And I thought, even that in itself is absolutely shameful that people should feel, you know, this has happened to me, this has been my experience, but please don't use my name because I'm afraid I will be sort of even victimised. So um, so that's been my campaign over the last few weeks. I've been putting up short videos uh, for anybody who wants to watch them. And it's just been a conversation about, yes, as you said, the inconsistencies, but Amy and I have had, um, you know, been texting back and forth on this as well. There are two things that have come up absolutely consistently and one is the inconsistency of the application of the law and the second one is the disrespect with which people are being treated in their own businesses and that that is terribly upsetting for me i grew up in a business and like yourself tracy we know how hard it is to make a business work and we know the daily stresses and strains involved so for people not only to have to face inspectorates which they do because about 15 of them in our industry but also to have to be disrespected in their own business is is um it's mortifying really yeah it's it's appalling. And Amy, for you, this space, you know a hell of a lot about and you said that you've gone down the route of conscious kitchens because of your experience of 12 years of being that EHO and witnessing the fear. And yeah. and that's that's the fear that is crippling and and humiliating for for business owners in their own space that they've created for themselves where they're trying to do their best work. What would you say about that? 
Well, unfortunately, over time, I heard it on repeat. Like, the last officer didn't say that. The last officer didn't say that. And like, initially, like, when you're fresh to the job, like, it that's kind of hard to believe, you know, because you're a bit green, I suppose, and you, you want to get out there and do the best job you can do. But over time, then I started to see it, and I would see a lack of information on some on previous reports. So there's not very much transparency there. Um, and yeah, it definitely, it became really obvious to me. And then if you were going to go out and work alongside another officer, like I could see the variation. I could see the inconsistencies very clearly. Um, so it's, it's an awful challenge for a food business. Like I, in many cases, I don't know how they're meant to know which way is up. Mm. Like, yeah, when they're dealing with that variety and, so there's something to be said for having the same officer coming back, but then there's also an argument for have switching it up as well, um, so that they, everybody's getting a fair shot or close to a fair shot as possible. There's so many variables in it, like really and truly, like you can look at two sides of the coin every time. I felt, um, but at the end of the day, it depends. Like you have to. I just based it on who I was in front of at the time and, you know, make your best judgment from there. Like, the application of the law is there. It's for the, the business to demonstrate compliance. That's the bottom line. The business, it's up to them to demonstrate compliance. An officer is not in a position to tell you, buy this piece of equipment, do something this way, you can only do it that way, you must have this, you must do that. That doesn't exist. It's not that prescriptive. So when I hear somebody telling you that you you must, like that they've been previously told they had to buy a blast chiller, I'm sorry, no. Push back on that immediately. <laughs> Amy, Amy, that's that's a, that's huge. That's a huge uncovery discovery. Blonde Bergen, come in there quick. Yes, I'm, I'm How actually astonished at that uh, because uh, mm. people have been continuously, in my experience, uh, Forced, again, I'm not using. I'm using the word the word advisedly. Forced to buy piece of equipment which they can not not only can they not afford, but feel that they're not necessary. I had I had an incident once with a lady, and I said this to I was on the radio, Kenny Radio, actually recently, and I was saying it to Edward that I had a lady. I remember specifically because she was so stressed, she was so tired, she was so overwrought. And she'd had uh, a young EHO in who forced them to knock down a wall so they could move two fridges from a space where they were perfectly fine uh, to another space. And it cost them €15,000. And, and it just, so I'm really interested to hear this, Amy, that, that people, that EHOs, so, so for instance, let me, let me ask you something then. So for instance, if somebody... Uh, needed to comply with having food at a certain temperature, uh, and they had a fridge, but the EHO thought, well, this fridge isn't big enough, or there isn't enough space. Are they? Can they then say you need to buy a second fridge because this isn't working? Um, they can't tell you to buy a second fridge. The 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 way it needs to be delivered is this is not suitable for xyz reason and now the solution is up to you see 
and I, I do get this from this perspective, right? Um, they're regulators. So a regulator that's going to give you advice, I know they're well positioned to give advice as in they're standing in front of a food business and they're finding out non-compliances, but they're not actually, that creates an awful conflict that it's, it's based on the conditions of the day and they might not exist the next, the following year when the next inspection comes around. So that advice won't be sound a year later, perhaps. So that's why it's very difficult. They're not, met, they're not actually there in an advisory role. It's a regulatory role. So the role of the EHO is only to identify the non-compliances and then the solutions are up to the business. So you have to look at that if you, if you needed a second fridge or if your quantity is too large for what you have, you need to figure out a new way of doing it or get the other fridge. And as you quite rightly pointed out in your videos, Ron, it's like there needs to be more than one solution option. So there's two solutions, you know. But it's not, the EHO does not get to tell you which one to choose. It's the onus is on the food business operator. That's absolutely huge. I think even to give anyone listening the the words in which that they can use to their advantage to understand and to, to have a conversation with their EHO in that moment is really, really powerful. So to understand that being told to knock down a wall, that that's not the case. But it is about taking a step back going, there is an issue. I need to look at solutions for that issue. And Amy, I think you would be an amazing mentor, advisor uh, uh, and expert in this space for people to reach out to, to say, Amy, this is something that they've said. How do I make sense of the language being given to me? Because in that moment, they're in a space of fear. They've been worked up for days. They put every team member uh, under massive pressure. Will you come yeah. in early? Will you go late? Did you sort that out? Oh God, who didn't do the bottom of the fridge? By the time that person comes in, they are so frazzled. They're not taking in the information. It is this panic. They're in a state of fear and they don't know what to do. So it is. And, and Blonde, you've said it. The report in that written form is absolutely essential. And then it is to take that written form and then make sense of it in, in a space where they're more relaxed, more calm, with, with the situation where they have three uh, uh, different spaces for three potential solutions and then to create the strategy around what it is they need to do next. And, and to take that away from this conversation is huge because it's putting them in a position of understanding and power because that's what we need to do. We need to give the business owners back power. And I don't mean power in ego. I mean power of being in control of a really well-run establishment that they could be absolutely proud of. And Blondage, you mentioned this in one of your posts as well. We're not talking about every business. We are talking about the really the, the businesses that are doing really great work. And just to be clear about that as well. I, I, I'm amazed, Amy. I'm delighted that this has come up. I'm delighted, Blonnet, you've been able to, to, to push it a little bit further so that our listeners can understand what they must do for themselves going forward. It's fascinating. Blonnet, yes, next. I, I think what's really important here is that business owners understand that they have the right to reply. So they have the right to, as you said a moment ago, Amy, to push back and to say, so why? You've asked me to do this. Uh, can you please explain to me why I need to do it? If necessary, can you explain to me where in the legislation it says that I need to do that? And also, um, 
can you give me, can we sit down and look at various options? Now, Amy will clarify whether or not that's something that's within the HO's remit, but I think it's so important that the uh, business owner understands they have the right to reply. And also, um, I've been contacted by a wide variety of people from all areas of the industry over the last few weeks. And one of the things that was mentioned was that it's very important the business owner feels they are being unfairly treated to go to the principal EHO in their area. Because there is within the Food Safety Authority, there is a code of, uh, you might be able to clarify this, Amy, of sort of respect, you know, whatever in, in the workplace. Uh, so, so that was one thing that was said, that they have the right to reply and they have the right to go higher if they need to. Um, yeah, so I think it's really important to have clarified that. See, if, the, if that fear exists and it's, it's propagated, it kind of comes with the territory now, right? The EHO is only getting a snapshot in time of what is actually happening in that business on that day. And there's just so many variables. So if I would say to businesses, like be comfortable with an EHO being present for more than an hour and asking you very many questions. Because it means they're engaged and interested in what you're doing. And they can get a better picture of what you're doing to actually come up with a better you know, a, a fair result. So I used to find that when I would go in, I couldn't do, I can't do an inspection in less than an hour, no way, like, um, and I would find that businesses were looking at me going, would she ever leave kind of thing, and why she keep asking so many questions? But that was my approach. I wanted to understand why you're doing what you're doing, and then I can make a fair assessment that it's safe or there's an issue with it that I need to raise. Um, and looking for as much detail as possible back from the, the EHO for sure, I'd encourage that absolutely because it opens up better lines of communication and a better relationship and removes some of the fear. Um, I, I, I think that's a brilliant point, Amy, because it is a case that um, respect from two sides is is an amazing space to be in when it comes to business. And so curating and creating that respectful working relationship with your EHO is truly powerful. Um, and, and it's amazing to have that level of support behind you as well. And it's also to be in that space where you have to remind yourself not to be that reactive person and to be that proactive person. So from that business point of view, to force yourself not to be in a reactive space or place and it takes training. I'm not saying it's overnight. It takes a number of visits before you get into that space, but it's a conscious effort in order to create a good working relationship. I'm not saying all relationships can be salvaged or, or can be uh, curated and created, but there's certainly some that can be. And Blanage, you know, even knowing that that you're able to go to that principal person uh, within um, your locality to get more advice and assistance and help is really important because if you feel as a business owner that this isn't right, something's not going well, that was very uncomfortable, it felt unprofessional. Well, knowing that you had somewhere to go, I think, is really important from this conversation as well. 
I'm going to say something that not a lot of food business owners, and I was a food business owner, and I don't get to hear this often enough. My EHO was freaking amazing. I loved her. I loved her. And, and she and he and they and them, they are out there. But for this conversation, we really are honing in on a certain topic that is now an absolute issue in the country. And it is causing immense fear. It's forcing business owners into a space and place that they cannot put up with. They cannot control. They cannot manage because of the cost implications that some of these um, visits are causing them and their businesses. Blanage. Yes. So one of the other re- things that worries me really uh, tremendously is the the pressure that appears to be being put on people who are cooking everything from scratch. Mm. There has been a, a terrifying slide in the quality of our food in restaurants and cafes. And we can see that, you know, more and more there are processed foods involved. Uh, that there are fewer sort of homemade cakes and uh, homemade things. And suddenly there's this, like I had a lady from West Cork and it's on my feed on my Instagram. She said she'd been stopped grating fresh vegetables and she'd been stopped grating cheese. So you have to ask yourself, why? Like, is it because it makes it easier for the environmental health officer to do an inspection if everything's coming in from a factory and it's got a label on it and it's frozen? Uh, I'm really concerned about this because we have some extraordinary cafes and restaurants here and I am concerned that we're going to go the way of other countries and one of our children is living in a country where the quality of the food is frankly quite terrifying and uh, because a few, you know, a few big players um, are more or less kind of in charge of the food chain from start to finish and they decide what people are going to eat. Quietly. Quietly in charge too. Yes, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm really, I can't, I can't explain properly how, how really worried I am about this because I, I have, you know, I have my own favourite cafes and people contact me saying they're going to stop me doing this because they're going to stop me making cakes. They make me put the cakes in the fridge. Like you know, a four-year-old could tell you that a cake that goes into a fridge is going to be ruined if it has cream in it. I understand. It has to be in the fridge, mm-hmm. but cakes generally. So it sometimes it strikes me that there's a basic lack of understanding on the part of the environmental health officers, and Amy can come back at me in a minute, um, on the part of environmental health officers about, about food quality. Food mm. quality is never, ever mentioned in this conversation. So if somebody's trying to do really, really quality food, sorry, I'm getting super excited about this, and I can see Amy's also super excited in, but you have to wait, Amy, until I'm finished. And so, uh, yes, so you have people desperately trying to do it right. All of the things which the Irish Tourism Board and Board Bia are all, you know, day in, day out um, talking about. And then on the ground, we have people who seem to be making a concerted effort to stop people making quality food. End of soapbox. Amy, Amy uh-huh. come in there. So, to be honest, I, I love that you've brought this up. I really do because that's a big part of what I want to do with Conscious Kitchens is that I'm going to really, and I am already, encouraging businesses to use the best quality they can and Irish. And I've got a beautiful food map on my website that promotes that as well. Like, 
So there's, and it's it's a topic, I've done the this versus that a few times, food safety and food quality. They go together hand in hand, but an EHO is not responsible for anything got to do with quality. It's all food safety. So the quality, the sourcing, anything like that, is it's not within their remit to comment on. So the more that you raise this to say that they're, they're saying that somebody can't use the mints that they roll and, you know, turn do themselves, things like that. There's just, there's no, there's no place for them to comment on that. There really isn't. Not unless it's been done in an unsafe way. Like, I'd be interested to see the space that that person has inside in the, in the food truck. Um, that, that was one factor that I'd love to like to understand. But outside of that, there's no, there's no, they don't have no say whether they can do that or not, as long as it's been done in a safe and suitable way. And Amy Blon had mentioned there that uh, uh, um, clients of hers and business owners are now stopping uh, grating their own vegetables and cheese. What the heck? What the heck? What the heck? And we we all know what's in a bag of grated food to preserve it. We all know there's coatings. We all. What the heck? Uh, how do you deal with that? If I was the food business, I'd push back immediately. That's it's nonsensical. So what's the question? What's the question to arm the food business owner with with the question or the statement? So I recommend that you no longer grate your vegetables or your cheese. I recommend that they, they come in pre-grated. This is, you know, causing issues within the kitchen. I'm just yeah. pretending I'm an EHO for a moment. And and then you're the food business owner, Amy. What Your integrity and your ethos is around that local produce, farmhouse cheese, the respect to the, the culture that is driven within you and outside of you and the people you associate with what's your response exactly what one word there's no like tell me they need to give you some reason why it's unsafe why it's unsuitable you know that's and that's not a solution it's a reason as to why they're going to request that from you but again they're not there to offer solutions i'll just i'll hammer that home And a request to not follow through on a request. So if that food business owner allows the, the HO leaves at the end and they go, not a hope. So if the, the food business owner denies the request and continues as they are because it is their their mission, vision, values and ethos of their business to utilise local ingredients. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and, is it a request or a requirement? You know. Yes. So there's another question. Why and is that a request or a requirement? And so it is to give uh, um, uh, the language to the food yeah. business owner. And, and it's not not for it to be aggression. It, it is simply gentle language that gives them the answers required for them to make them, then their own informed decisions. So I think that's yeah. brilliant. And there are so many like helpfully HLs that do communicate well. Like this is definitely not everybody because if it was every EHO out there, you know, they wouldn't. We wouldn't get this far. I don't believe. I think everybody would have a reason to complain, and you know, maybe go through the RAI or whatever it is, something. But so it's definitely not everybody. You know, but the inconsistency is. 
I think for for a lot of food business owners, they're sometimes too tired to complain. They're sometimes too tired to make a phone call that may result in an email, a follow up phone call and a meeting because they don't have the time. I think that may have a lot to do with it as well. And that's why I think what Blonnet is doing over the last three to four weeks, it's highlighting a space that food business owners absolutely needed someone outside of them to highlight and and hence why Blonard is getting all of those messages and uh, private messages, emails, um, public messages. This is the start of something. So I absolutely agree, Amy. I don't think it's it's everywhere and it's for everyone. However, I don't know that we fully understand right now in this moment of how bad it really is. Uh, And that's that's what I think. I'll offer something else, Tracy. I think it's time that the the role of DHO actually evolves somewhat because they're so well positioned to, I suppose, offer more support in a way that's not solutions. Um, and originally, like, inspections began and they were floors, walls and ceilings. Have a look around, make sure the structure was adequate. The things, like... Food didn't move as much as it does now. The different types of preparation and cultures and all that kind of stuff didn't wasn't so readily available. And now it is. So there's a lot more complex preparation happening. There's a lot more variety in food in the industry today, all over the world. That I I think it's it's definitely time for the role to evolve. It's definitely no longer the floors, walls, and ceilings. You've got sushi and peking duck and fermentation and but EHOs are not chefs so they don't necessarily understand all these processes and so there's you know there needs to be a bit of continuous development or some there there needs to be more Agreed Blonde Bergen you've spoken about this as well your take on this is brilliant and similar to that tell us a bit more Yes so I feel that there there must be a missing piece as Amy has just mentioned there in the training of environmental health officers so I was speaking to a very uh, well known restaurateur with a number of restaurants uh, there last week and he was saying that his environmental health officer uh, he does sous vide part of the, one of the things he does and the environmental health officer told him he, he couldn't use the water. And he said, why not? And she said, uh, well, you put the food in the water, don't you? And he said, yes, but it's in a plastic, plastic bag for a seed plastic bag. So she didn't understand what food eat was. So uh, he also does fermentation, he does curing, he does smoking. And he said that there is a very serious lack of understanding of the processes that go into some of these some of these methods that have been around for like centuries. It's like I said, you know, on a video I made, made this earlier on today. Um, I had another person, another expert on the phone to me this morning about cheese. And he was saying that, um, and this is another thing people don't understand, and I'm really hopeful in this space now. I wasn't a few weeks ago, but I am now. Uh, this person said that um, you can have what's called a derogation. So the laws start in Europe, and Amy knows this better than I do, and then the, a directive comes from Europe to each of the individual European countries. The Department of Agriculture takes those directives, uh, writes laws around them, which is individual to each country. 
which is in itself very interesting. Uh, and then uh, that filters down to the environmental health officers who are looked after by the FSAI and the local councils then have that. So uh, I think I'm right in that, Amy. And so he was talking about, say, for instance, something like Rockford cheese, which we're all familiar with, exceptionally smelly French cheese, which people absolutely love. They've been making it since apparently 1411, because I checked it. And they make them in these caves, which are really grotted. And the walls of the caves are covered in muck from five or seven or eight hundred years. And suddenly you have the European Health and Environmental Health Officers going nuts about this. But they were able to prove to them that Rockford is for sale all over the world for hundreds of years and it's never made anybody sick. So they got up to the derogation and the law was changed. So you can have a law change, and there have been laws changed in Ireland by people proving that the food is safe to eat in the way it's being prepared at the moment in the business. And that gives me great hope. So this person, what he said to me was, he said, you need to take individual cases where you can prove clinically, scientifically, whatever other way, because people who work with food safety, as Amy knows, are experienced a scientific thing, and you need, as a business owner, to prove that the way you're doing it is safe. And uh, so I think that's very hopeful. So that if you feel that something is wrong, you can trace it back and say, you know, and you keep asking why. I, I, I did, um, I studied lean there during COVID, which is a brilliant way of, of uh, kind of investigating things. So you keep asking the question why until you get back to the source. Anyway, I've taken enough, enough of that. But I just think that's hopeful, that there is a way that if you see something that's wrong, there is hope at the end, because it can be changed. The law itself can actually be changed. I'd say for the sorry, I'd say for the most part, that probably works best for a, a manufacturer or primary producer. But if you've got your food truck that's told he can't roll his own burger balls, like you know, that that doesn't require a change to legislation. That just requires common sense. I understand that. Yeah. 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 It's it's brilliant to know because there are so many sides to this coin that is the food, uh, uh, drink and hospitality space in Ireland. So even taking into account food producers and what it is that they have to go through as well, leave it alone to uh, food trucks, restaurants and pubs. This is across the board. And I think, Blonde, that is that is a great reminder that it is across the board, that issues are being felt across the board. And I love the fact that you brought up and, and I think we need to take maybe the person out of the EHO and, and, and allow the EHO lettering to stand for the education and training rather than the individual, because it's the education and the training. And I think we can all agree that the education and training is lacking in certain areas to equip that individual with the best knowledge required to do their best work. And Blonage and Amy, you both brought that up, that there's a missing link. And Blonage, you are looking into that because for change to occur, arming people with the essential information and experience uh, is absolutely what's required here. And, and you're going to investigate that. You, you've taken that on as well, Blonage. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, I have, I have a group now of five or six people from all different sectors of the industry, and we're just going to have a conversation around this and see whether or not it can be uh, progressed. Because believe it or not, um, 
Myrtle, the late great Myrtle Allen, uh, had been having conversations as far back as the 60s and 70s around inconsistencies with environmental assessments, which is extraordinary. And I, I had, no more than yourself, Tracy, but I had a very good fortune to spend a year in the kitchen with Myrtle Allen in, um, in Ballymaloo. And what I learned there was completely extraordinary. But people came to the back door every day with a basket of plums, a basket of pears, mushrooms, whatever was around, blackberries, and we had fish course and belly cotton. So it was the most exquisite food. And it just came into the kitchen. Yeah. You know, there wasn't this very long paper trail that was needed. It was just fabulous food from the kitchen door, almost straight to the table, and very little done in between. That seems to be virtually impossible now, and it's terribly sad. I, I agree, Blanet. I come across more people who say to me, Tracy, I've got excess in my garden. I would love to find a home for it. And I'm I'm desperately looking at avenues and and spaces in which to help them with that because food waste is such a massive problem. And and seeing rotting food, perfectly good food rotting, knowing that we cannot bring it into a business. Amy, tell us a little bit more about that. That absolute zero tolerance to that style of doing business is it's dead it's gone like yes it's dead it's gone but it's and it's so sad to think that or even say that um but again there's nothing prescriptive that says no to that so um i think the fci have a piece i know i did a bit about it about foraged foods and serving foraged foods and there's many businesses that still do it and you can do it in a perfectly safe way like um there's yeah there is additional information on the fci website and you have to have some kind of record there's some documentation to go with it but it's definitely not popular it's not happening everywhere but it's not a it's not a hard no (laughs) oh i love that amy blonded what do you think of that yeah, I'm very happy to hear that, and I think lots of people who who hear this podcast will be happy to hear that. Uh, I think, um, and I know you said it, and other environmental health officers who contacted me have said it, Amy, that your job is compliance, and it's all about compliance, and it's very clear-cut, and it's really not about quality, but I just think there is that missing link there. And I think that, you know, I don't know what the training, I know it's a four-year training, so that's a fairly significant amount of time. But what are they learning? Is it just a science degree? It's a a four-and-a-half-year degree. It's a science degree. And it's the most obvious career choice at the end. But it's not the only one. So, yeah, you do seven months um, practical placement as well, where you're learning from your peers. But that's that's, you know, that offers a lot of variety and potentially inconsistencies. So what you're saying then is that there's a seven-month placement, but that's shadowing another EHO. It's not actually at the cold place in the industry, which is where they need to be. Oh, you are out in the field. 100% are out in the field, yeah. You're not working alongside food business owners to fully understand what it's like in their shoes. And that that would help marrying both, Blonnet, I hear, and I see where you're going with that. Yeah. And we shared something that a feedback I remember giving at the end of my time in Calgary Street was we we shared the school with uh, the catering college and not once were we brought around the kitchen. 
Oh my God, I was in Kalbrusha for four years and I never saw any of you guys. That's insane! <laughs> yeah, I, I... Never <laughs> happened. I gave that feedback in 2008. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's two windows of opportunity uh, that need to be um, further investigated, as in there's potential in those two areas if they haven't already jumped on it. Uh, and that's exciting even just to do a bit of discovery here within this conversation. And that's what's needed, Blanard, isn't it? And Amy, to be in the company of people from different backgrounds, but within uh, the same um, um, hospitality umbrella, through this level of conversation, we really can unpack quite a lot and come to terms with what's actually happening out there. And then to arm people with the, the questions. And again, it's, it's to be that proactive individual, not reactive, to develop good relationships, but also to have those those questions ready like these questions need to be printed on their wall uh, they need to be in a folder and I genuinely their EHO folder where they they pull them up uh, prior to their visits and they're ready to go with their their gentle questioning uh, because to put them in that position from here on in how amazing that would be to be able to query with intelligence to be able to query um, um, anything that comes at them that they feel doesn't align or make sense to them and to to know that buying new equipment because somebody said so, is that no? Yeah. The answer is no. No, I'll, I'll go away and I'll look into it. No. Gen mm. Gently, I should pull my voice down. I'm trying to promote gentle. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, amazing. Um, Blonnet, I love that you brought up uh, Myrtle Allen and the way it used to be. And when we do look at the changes that have occurred over the, the, the decades since as to how it was, and I, I always love that reminder, uh, the ethos of what you spoke about of the fresh ingredients to the door, utilising them within a really small time frame uh, in order to capture the quality of that food. And it was simply food simply done uh, with the minimum amount of um, uh, layers and steps because it was all about the flavour of that food. And something that I've heard you say and I heard you say today again is that our industry is losing the ability uh, uh, to to cook from scratch through fear of feedback from their EHOs, through uh, uh, recommendations of pulling um, in grated food that is covered in whatever rather than doing it themselves. And that is frightening, Blanet. I've, I've seen it myself. I've, I'm getting frustrated myself. I'm, I'm saddened to see people lose their spark. And when business owners, and we know that running a food business, it's about the individual, the, the, the energy and the brain behind the individual who had the guts and the balls to put into play a business uh, uh, dream and strategy to bring to life and allow us in on that journey with them. When they lose their spark, freaking heck, so many people suffer because our local producers suffer. The ethos of their business suffer. The culture of their business suffers because they can no longer stand behind their mission statement, which was to bring to life something of immense value and importance to everyone that comes across it. What the heck are we going to do with this, Blanet? Well, curiously enough, um, Tracy, I was contacted by a lot of farmers. Now, I don't know about farming, but they said, you know, us too, you know, the veterinary inspectors are making our lives an absolute misery for the same reason. 
and small food producers uh, and farmers are feeling victimized. And, you know, as, as I said to them, this is not my area of expertise, uh, but they just said, us too, it's happening as well. And I think, um, I think, you know, this conversation has been going on for many years and I contacted another very, um, a person in the West of Ireland who is coming on board as well, who has been fighting this battle for quite some time. And she, she just feels as well that there is a, that there is, uh, what is it? It's a kind of a gradual, but now it seems to gathering pace, a gradual erosion of the um, the Irish food scene. And I know Amy, you mentioned somebody earlier on who's trying to trying to contract that. But we were we were once ashamed of our food, and then Merkel Allen came came on, and um, Merkel changed all of that. We suddenly realised what incredible food we had. Yes, yes. Uh, so Merkel, Merkel Allen brought forward uh, the pride in Irish food. And that, um, that made us feel that we were as good as anybody else anywhere else in the world, particularly when we were trying to, um, trying to compare ourselves to the French or the Italians. Uh, but now there is this homogenization of the food culture going on. And it's, uh, if we want to end up with convenient factory food, yeah, just be careful what we wish for, I would say. And uh, people, you know, you see our supermarkets nowadays, they are wall-to-wall -wall plastic to begin with, and secondly, wall-to-wall -wall processed foods. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, as I said earlier, I'm really worried about this. And the other, speaking of plastic, while I'm at it, uh, I also mentioned recently about the introduction of plastic boards into the industry that needs to be stopped immediately. Apparently, in Holland, and I only heard this this morning, in Holland, they initially, I don't know, again, must come from the EU, you wonder where it came from, but uh, they had to get rid of all their timber boards, and then now suddenly the Dutch have been told to throw out all their plastic and go back to timber. Because as we all know, and there have been scientific studies done on this, timber is a much safer product to use in the kitchen. And if you consider butchers, who use butcher's blocks, which are made of timber, using raw meat. Hello, can we join the dots? So I am on a mission as well to get rid of as much plastic out of our industry. And we, we, we won't talk about chemicals today, but I'll, I'll leave that for another day. Um, but the use of plastic boards and plastic gloves, the introduction of them into the industry was an absolute travesty. And if you consider the hundreds, probably millions of millions of plastic boards that are now never in probably a million years going to decompose. Um, anyway, I'm wandering off again, but I, I, there are just so many things that I'm crossing <laughs> It, it, it's still under the, the same discussion and topic because it, it, it became the recommendation. You must have plastic boards. You can't have wooden boards. And it, it was a, a dialogue piece that absolutely permeated every goddamn business in the country for an extraordinary amount of time. Amy, tell us a bit more about this. Tracy, you said recommendation. Bing, bing, bing. That's all it was. Yes. So, and unfortunately, some things get a, get a moment in the spotlight and they... They just gain this momentum that goes out of control. It's not, it's not born out of, it might have been one scenario for one person, it was the obvious solution, and then suddenly everybody had to do it. Like, yes. in fairness, the Food Safety Authority, they've never, they've never put a 
put it out there that you must wear gloves. But unfortunately, they create this false sense of security that people think is a better appearance. Use tongs, wash your hands. You know, there's other options. And it's up to you to demonstrate that you're doing it safe and suitably. That's when then training comes in and you have new staff members and you teach them that it's the way that we do the thing. Now, document that, that we've, that, that we've taught the staff to do, to do it this way. And that's your, that's your full circle. That's how you cover yourself. But it's understanding how to piece all that together. It should move fluidly. It doesn't always. And I do think in some instances, I think businesses are drowning in paperwork as well, which is, also very challenging. I had a, a um, client, sorry Amy, uh, I had a client recently who said that even though they have a digital hassle system, which you're probably familiar with now, and that they're making people's lives a lot less stressful, uh, they had a digi- have a digital hassle system, but the EHO is insisting that everything is also written. What? And that's, that's unfortunately, that's what gives everybody a bad name. And not everybody will will require that or request that from that person. They're meeting the requirements, and that's where I think that frustration definitely comes in, where a food business is just like, they've enough of them, and they don't want to then engage with them. It's such a the dynamic just kind of just goes out of control then. The question then, just to give our, our listeners, to tool them up, because each one of us, we live to give the people around us the best tools to do their best work. Because if you set people up for success, they will then achieve that success. And so what I want from you, Amy, is the EHO says, look, I see that you have the software for HACCP and you're keeping it up to date there. That's that's not good enough. I need it in a written format. Amy, tell me how I respond. What language do I use? Yeah, I mean, I would tell if, it, if it's something like Kitch Tech or similar, it's, it's available on multiple devices. So the argument that the battery is going to die and it's not going to be accessible and so-and-so can't fill it in and whatever, everybody has it on their mobile device. So it's, you know, you're showing them. that That's just, I personally, I just think that's becoming unreasonable and uncooperative. So, I mean, no, you're not providing a paper document if this is if this is how you operate. At the end of the day, you're opening the business. The, food, the, the EHO is not the one opening the doors every day. You know, the empowerment piece, for me, that's the empowerment piece. Just yeah. be empowered uh, to, you know, stand your ground and understand where you're coming from, why you're doing what you're doing, and you know that it's safe and suitable. And there is a missing link for food business owners to feel empowered. And I think just through us coming together in this podcast, fueling them with the the, the questions and the queries that they must ask uh, in order to get to the bottom line and to understand fully what's required is really, really, really powerful to give them back that confidence because it's lost. It's definitely lost. The dialogue of how to communicate cleanly between these two individuals is absolutely broken. So to be able to give that to people now is, is really quite incredible and hopefully this small little thing of what we're doing today will make a small little change that's a positive step forward fingers crossed Blonde, did you want to come in there i was just going to say two things first of all every business owner needs to understand that they have to have a proper hassle system in place and ideally they will get somebody like amy in to help them set that up properly and once you have a hassle system that's working in place really there shouldn't be any further issues 
So if, and I wanted to ask Amy a further question there about the woman who has been asked to write all her records down as well as having a digital, um, a digital record. Can she push back and say, no, I am not going to do that. I have a perfectly legitimate record here on my, uh, on my uh, digital passive system? I don't want to buy with her. Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's so, you know what I mean? That, that's one of those evolution pieces. Now, I, I'm actually going to go away and, and check this for sure afterwards. So is, there, is it written that it, that it must be a written form of such a thing? You know, it, that's a case of semantics, though, at the end of the day. Like, they're providing what's being required. And it's a it's a system based on the principles of HACCP. I don't necessarily want everybody to go away thinking every restaurant has to have a HACCP plan. If you have the food safe catering pack, it's a food safety management system based on the principles of HACCP, which is perfect. Just, just make that small differentiation. Yep. Yeah, that's where I have to, you know, put my hands up here as well and say I have no expertise in this area of food safety. Uh, but I, I, you know, the reason this conversation, I started this conversation was because of my experiences with business owners across the industry and what they were experiencing. So, you know, it is important for me as well to have the, uh, the facts right. And uh, I would also, I also think that for owners, they need a sort of step-by-step -step guide as to what their options are. So your first, uh, your first thing, of course, as you just said, is to have a food safety management system in place. And then if within that you are doing your best and you're asked to do something you feel is not correct, uh, you then, I would say, you go to the Food Safety Authority of Ireland website and check it out. Because when you talk about timber boards, for instance, within their website, they say you absolutely can use timber boards for, for food preparation. You don't need to use plastic gloves. So you could, that could be your first port of call. And then uh, you need to say, well, as you said in, in earlier on, you know, why? Why do I need to do this? What is the risk? And what, are the, what do I need to do to mitigate that risk? And there has to be more than one way to do that. Yeah, and Blanet, I think that's a great uh, summary of what we've been able to get through today. And there's no doubt about it. This is a conversation that can be continued every couple of months. And maybe that's something we can do for people. Maybe every quarter uh, for the next while we can come back together. Blanet, you're bringing together a team of experts that are going to create a, a roundtable discussion on this. And for us to tap into that feedback, Blanet will be outstanding. And then for us to be able to talk so openly with Amy about about this space and for her to bring us on journeys that uh, no one else has let us into as of yet uh, has been absolutely empowering and powerful. And for that, I'm, I'm forever grateful. So, Blonnet, I will be in touch soon um, and I will talk to you about that and you too, Amy. And, and just to wrap up on this conversation, I really do hope that there were nuggets in here and it's building the confidence required for those business owners to step into their shoes or step back into their shoes to give them that confidence 
parents to be able to create those provocative questions that are absolutely essential for them to get to the bottom line and to see through the murky waters because that's what's happening right now and also to say a huge big thank you time is so valuable and you too have put up with me bringing this to life and uh, gone on this little journey to get us live today so thank you both so much for first saying yes and secondly for trusting me that I could actually manage this because we had a couple of hiccups prior uh, your patience is greatly uh, respected and appreciated and and finally what I want to ask both of you is could you tell us where we can find you uh, because that's really really important so all contact details uh, can you tell us where we can best find you on all platforms Blana Bergen uh, my uh, website is the business of food.ie uh, my uh, in, in, email address is info at the business of foods.ie and my phone number, need my phone number, uh, 087-679-0854. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. They're the two main platforms that I uh, am visible on and it's at business of food at, it's on Instagram and the business of food on uh, actually i'm on linkedin and under my own name blana bergen thank you so much for that amy irwin thank you for the opportunity i, I really appreciate it uh, not at all i adore you and your work so i i feel very privileged to have you here with me amy irwin where can we find you so it's www.conscious-kitchens.com um, i'm on um Instagram and LinkedIn as well. So Instagram is conscious underscore kitchens with an S and LinkedIn is my own name. And um, as Ron said, it's Amy, A-M-Y at conscious hyphen kitchens.com and happy to share my number 083 <laughs> Thanks really, Tracy. Really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, Tracy. Thank you very much. It's really important to highlight this and to have an opportunity to do a podcast with Super uh, because it's moving conversation on a little bit further. Exactly. Terrific lady. Thank you so much. Back to taking over the world and making lives better and businesses better. Adios. Adios amigos. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye 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 bye.